Thank you for tuning in to Lunar Cats. This podcast exists to create a safe space where we can share our stories. This first series focuses on three women who designed and operated businesses amidst a global pandemic. Join me in touching base with Liza Pulaski in Northern Michigan. How are you? I'm good. Perfect. Awesome. Um, thank you, uh, Liza, for coming on my podcast. Um, its actual official name now is called Lunar Cats. Ooh, I what? love that transition. And yeah. also, of course, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I feel like we've been kind of talking about this and juggling it back and forth for several months. So it just makes me really excited that we're finally connecting like a hundred percent over it I can't tell you how nice it is also just to free up now that sort of space that I've been holding in anticipation of this to finally <laughs> tomorrow wake up and be like oh it's been fulfilled Today's the circle the has day. been completed <laughs> Um, so for listeners, just a little background, um, Liza and I went to high school together back in Lansing, Michigan, Lansing Catholic Central. So crazy. Um, it's actually really funny because I was just in Michigan in August and I looked at all the senior pictures that are on the wall. Oh, you know how they have like each year hanging. I do. I have not been back to LCC. Oh man. I can't even tell you when maybe sometime in college so I haven't looked at those pictures in so long it's so it's very different they've added a lot onto it and there's like a new chapel and uh, I have driven by and seen the additions yeah it looks transformed it was really like the building was just open so my sister and I uh went in and I helped her set up her locker for her senior year so that was pretty sweet but it's crazy to think that we've I mean we've known each other well over a decade now it is so wild oh my gosh I don't know where the time goes I know it seems like just yesterday we were going to see Ashley Simpson in concert oh my god Meadowbrook That was epic. Ashley Simpson. Truly. Shout out to my brother for winning us those free tickets. This is so awesome. Such <laughs> <a> random. <laughs> it was, I know. I mean, I'm so glad that I chose you to go with me. That was yes. a great experience. And I also just want to point out that I have my candle from Claire lit right now. Just as like oh, that's so special. Um Claire is, is Liza's like best friend, basically, or one Indeed. of your friends. Um, and actually, the two of you kind of started your businesses around the same time, or you've at least partnered together. So exactly, it's so nice because she's only about twenty five minutes now from the schoolhouse that we're restoring. So we actually had an opportunity to do an artist market this summer together, and. I'm so excited for what the future holds, just the potential for collaboration. That's amazing. So you you and your partner, Connor, uh, purchased the Lewis Schoolhouse. And from what I understand, it's it's a 116-year-old one-room schoolhouse. Yes, exactly. Uh, And it just so happens to be surrounded on three sides by his family's tree farm. 
Wow. Uh, it was his grandparents' tree farm, and they passed away, and the family has continued coming here, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters, parents, uh, and planting trees each year, which is a tradi tradition I have been lucky enough to be taking part in for about 10 years now. Uh, and How that's really what drew us to the schoolhouse in the first place. How did you and Connor meet? We met through Nora, whom you remember, another Lansing yes. Catholic friend of ours. Uh, they went to U of M together and studied abroad in Ireland and became quite close. And then after college, they moved in together in Grand Rapids. And just through frequent, frequent visits to see Nora, I became acquainted with Connor. Oh, I love that. And what's yeah. your, you, you two have a dog as well. What's your we dog? We do. Did, say that one more time. What is? What's your dog's name? Our dog's name is Trotsky. Trotsky. Uh, yes. Named after Leon Trotsky. Uh, he was a Detroit rescue dog. So he he's a little worn and torn, but he's a very good boy. Oh, so leading up to um, getting the, the schoolhouse, you were teaching in Detroit public schools? Correct. I was. Yes, I was teaching and I was also working at Focus Hope uh, for the eight years. Uh, and then I left my job very sadly. Uh, what was there a catalyst to that? Uh, it looks I remember. Yes. So October of 2020, it was, you know, really unsustainable for me to continue working at home. And it was in the midst of the pandemic. So obviously, we were deep into remote teaching and remote working. And we lived in a house at the time in Highland Park, Michigan, which is a pocket city in Detroit. And nobody had lived in it for 30 years prior to us moving in. And there were many homes around us that were uninhabited. So the street and our home had not been wired for internet connection. So we didn't have access to internet at home uh, with the exception of an Xfinity hotspot. So until October, 2020, while I was working from home, I was actually purchasing internet hotspots that it was outrageous. It was, I think, two ninety five for two hours, uh, for a week. It was like fifty four ninety nine. But mind you, this internet connection was dependent on whomever was sending the internet out to our house from their router. Uh, it was dependent on them keeping their router turned on. So sometimes I would make the purchase and assume I would have internet for the week and then the person would turn and Comcast would refuse to refund us. So we would just then not have internet at home and have to like go drive to the parking lot of Tim Hortons just to do a Zoom meeting. And, you know, I was like teaching from my car. So I just, eventually I had to say goodbye. I would still be teaching if we had the internet, but I had to find, you know, a different route for returning to a classroom, which the Lewis School will be that route. 
So when you left your job, um, just for listeners also, Liza is the owner and operator of a business called Pick Me Up Press. And I kind of remember this launching, although the, the pandemic was sort of a time warp for me. This it's launch, same. It's so difficult to think so of yeah, time. I'm like, what was I doing this time last year? I don't know. I have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Truly. But I remember that I believe it was shortly after you left your job in October of 2020 that the Pick Me Up Press launched maybe a few months after that. Yes, correct. And it's something that I had been working on even prior to that, uh, sort of with anticipation and coming to terms with this idea that I was going to have to leave my job. And, you know, I, I didn't want to get another job knowing that I didn't have Internet. There wasn't remote work available. So it has also been a, a lifelong dream to do it. So I guess that was just the catalyst. I remember when I first looked at your website and um, it it just explained how the pick me up press was kind of birthed out of uh, a need for connection during a time of such isolation. Can you speak speak on that a little more? At least at the inception, uh, I was able to maintain connection with my students and past colleagues through collaboration on creating care packages to send not only to, uh, you know, loved ones, family members and community who had been hospitalized, but also strangers who we may not know, but also had families and colleagues and loved ones who, you know, were isolated in a hospital and didn't have connection with the outside world. Many of them, you know, could talk to their family, perhaps through FaceTime, but there was no tangibility to being able to, you know, connect in person and hold something from a loved one or hold a hand, give a hug. And even for those who weren't hospitalized, we were all experiencing that to some degree or another while isolated at home and quarantining for the greater benefit of, you know, not spreading a deadly virus. So we, I guess we're able to maintain connection by using art and letters and poetry as a sort of new form of communication uh, with those that we couldn't be with in person. And one, one thing I'd like to point out is that on your website for each item that you have available, there's a suggested uh, price. And on Liza's website, she actually sells these beautiful prints and um, everything. I, you make all the dyes also, correct? Like it's- Yes, at least. So some of the products that are still available on my website uh, were created with inks and dyes that, well, no dyes, but some of the inks that I had used prior to experimenting and learning how to make my own were, yeah, just vegetable oil inks that I had purchased, but I'm now working toward creating all of my own dyes and inks. Uh, yeah, from plants and natural materials that I can find around the tree farm and in the woods. I love that. 
And I love the suggested price. Uh, there's also a part on your website that just talks to the accessibility of art and how important that is. Um, why, why do you think that that's a discussion that needs to be had? Well, I think, you know, just like with everything else, uh, the privatization of just basic human needs and basic human rights is something that I try actively to fight against. And so what we're trying to work toward at the schoolhouse and also with my website is encouraging uh, a system that allows people simply to give what they have and not, uh, you know, on a, a scale-based system. So I guess just to open up doorways of mutual reciprocity. Uh, really powerful. And I think it just really speaks to the, the energy that you bring and the energy that is very much in the package I received for you from my order from pick me up press. And I, I sent those cards, like those cards just came in handy and they're, they're just so unique. And I love the texture of the paper down to the little detail of the sticker on the back of it. And then also your handwritten note in the package. Um, was just so cute. Like I, thank you so much. I, you know, I, it oh. really was an experiment and I had hopes that it would succeed and that, you know, those who maybe are at a higher economic status than others would help, uh, you know, support those who maybe only had a few dollars to give, but still wanted to purchase art. And I have just truly been blown away by the support of community and friends and even strangers who have reached out and said that they also appreciate that pricing model and wish, you know, it existed elsewhere in other things where, you know, even just social services. Yeah. It's, it's such a, a simple kind of um, twist, I think, especially when, you know, it comes to, you know, I feel like you don't have a typical business model in that regard. And yeah, you know, it like kind of rejects capitalism in this way by giving, allowing people to have a choice. Yeah, that's sort of, sort of the hope, at least to, uh, begin building systems up here that can exist outside of the, the money economy and can kind of run counter to a, a capitalist society that demands we, you know, work so that we can afford to live and work so that we can afford healthcare and water and shelter, which really should just be inalienable human rights. And I think to a large degree, art and the privilege of creation is another inalienable right that has been deprived to so many individuals who, you know, simply don't have the time or the resources or uh, what have you to pursue those creative endeavors. I also appreciate that your art to me is, you know, sort of this like social, like guerrilla social justice vibe. It, it very much is a beautiful way to 
not only like bring people together, but I love how you highlight literature as well. Um, and just like some of the things that you quote, I think are really unique. And I haven't seen that in other artwork that I've looked at. Thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. Uh, I think, you know, the content and even just the processes have changed for me so much in my art from the time, like you said, time is kind of warped for me right now. But when, when we officially went into quarantine until now, and when I was teaching and creating art, often in collaboration with students or solo, uh, I think the processes were so much different uh, when I wasn't, I guess, so isolated and, you know, at home by myself. So I guess that, yeah, that means a lot to me when you say that, because I, I find myself creating art uh, with the hope of encouraging inquiry and to inspire others to share in the joy of creation. So when you sent me that little cat that you drew and said, you know, I've been drawing a lot. Thank you for the encouragement. It, it meant so much because that's another overall aim. Aww. Um, I, I was just kind of reading over the notes that you sent me a while ago. And uh, one part that caught my eye is that you worked at the women's here on Valley correctional facility in Correct. Lanny. Um, was that a, another project within pick me up press or can you t talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So that was prior to the pick me up press, uh, in 2013, 2014, around that time, I was also teaching, uh, it was community art programs uh, and also in the Educational Achievement Authority, which was a state, a state turnaround district, if you will. Uh, and I felt really inspired to become more active in some of, I guess, become more active in solving the despair that I felt for the things that I was witnessing around me. Uh, especially, I, I was especially inspired by a community that I had met in Detroit at the time at Sugar Law, which is where I think I had mentioned to you outside of this podcast, Connor was working at the time uh, during law school and I felt really encouraged by the work that they were doing and kind of called to become more active in uh, some of the, the injustice that I saw around me at the time. So I began teaching art workshops every week, other weekend uh, in the prison system. And holy cow, it was a, another radical transformation in just how I saw things and how I dealt with the despair that I was, that was, you know, increasing within me. Uh, yeah, it, it feels like a different lifetime. Yeah, you to think you, back on 2013, you know, just how much has changed, both personally, as well as for all of us, the whole world globally. How do you hope to turn that work that you did and like continue your activism? Like, would you say that the Pick Me Up Press was a form of activism for you? 
I would say so. I would say definitely. Uh, and we still have such a great community down in Detroit that we are hoping and planning on staying connected with once we begin our nonprofit up here. Uh, so even, you know, the crew at Sugar Law uh, and all of the sort of add-ons that we met along the way, we just recently hosted a, a camp up at the schoolhouse and they all came up and we played music and talked about our sort of dreams for the future and how we can combine efforts and connect, you know, our rural community up in Northern Michigan with our urban community down in Detroit, because at the end of the day, as different as the communities look, uh, you know, one is in the woods, one is in the middle of Michigan's largest urban urban center. Uh, at the end of the day, there we are all experiencing the same problems and the same sort of uh, marginalization and lack of access to just basic human needs. And a so, lot, it was your home in Detroit, uh, like technically in a food desert? It was, like yes. And a lot of the work that I was doing with Focus Hope these past eight years uh, was sort of geared around just sort of one of the branches of work, at least geared around creating uh, more equitable pathways in Detroit and Highland Park uh, toward food and fresh food that is produced locally and it's affordable, it's accessible. I remember seeing uh, images on your Instagram of like vegetables you would leave out in front of your house that, you know, neighbors could come and take or any passersby. And I just, I love that concept of sharing. It was kind of like a little, you know, free library, but for vegetables. Yes, food. it was exactly. It was a, a little free library and a little free farm stand. And we're so excited you know, not only to implement implement one of those up here on a much larger scale, but also to continue that down in our neighborhood in Highland Park. Uh, one of my neighbors reached out to me and asked if when we move, they can take, you know, they can take the library down to their house so that it can continue. They can put oh. it out. I love that. Um do you hope to have the same idea at the schoolhouse as well? So is, is the name of the nonprofit the, the Lewis Schoolhouse? Yeah, it will be the Lewis School. Okay. And, you know, we just have begun the preliminary steps thus far. So we've written the Articles of Incorporation. Uh, we haven't filed them yet, but it will be, yes, the Lewis School that name wasn't taken. I looked it up. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, it was a good day. What's the uh, What's the mission, or what are some highlights from the mission that people can look forward to? Uh, so overall, we want to promote. Let's see, to find self sufficiency for ourselves as well as for our community outside of the money economy by creating a space that can run counter to a capitalist lifestyle. So what this will mean 
for our first project, for instance, will be establishing a community tool library, which we had the, the great privilege of being a part of in Detroit, uh, the East Warren Tool Library, which is a space on the east side of Detroit that uh, operates on a pay scale. So you don't have to send in any paperwork to prove how much you make. It's just the honor system. And I think based upon what we made, we were paying $25 a year for our household. And we could go to the library anytime they were open and check out any tools, just like they were books from a library and use them and return them. And I cannot tell you how nice that was because it enabled us you know, to do all of the work ourselves that we would have otherwise had to pay a professional to do. Uh, so we really wanna work toward promoting shared ownership in the community. Uh, and I would say it's centralized around education and uh, mutual aid. Have you been using that resource uh, to renovate the, the school? I'm so bummed to say that we have been unable to because just simply because of the distance. Yeah. We haven't been going downstate enough. And in terms of gas, yeah. and just wear and tear on our car, we haven't been able to. And we've actually been keeping a tally of just how much money we would have saved if we were able to be a part of our tool library, if that was accessible up here. And it's outrageous because some of these machines are so expensive to rent by the day, uh, but don't, don't warrant you to purchase it because maybe you're only using it once. But if everybody in the community is only using it once, you know, it's better to pool resources so that you can actually own the machine yourself and share it amongst each other as opposed to all paying $60 every time one of you wants to use it. Yeah, that's such a, I love that concept. It, it reminds me of my job back at the Smoke Folks where you could, you know, pay $5 a day to have access to all of our bicycle tools and parts and, you know, things like this. And it just creates accessibility. And I love that. Yeah, um, exactly. I love especially, that. Yeah, it, especially like you and Connor have physically been like doing the work yourselves on the schoolhouse, which is like a whole other level of, of awesome. It's been uh, a learning experience. And we have had a lot of help from family and friends. We are so grateful because yeah, there is such power in numbers when you're trying to rebuild a schoolhouse. Uh, and it makes it even more special because the original schoolhouse burnt down uh, 1904, I believe. And similar to a barn raising, the community came together and they had a schoolhouse raising. So they all rebuilt it together. Uh, and it kind of goes to show similarly to what I was talking about with just resource pooling uh, in a community, just how much stronger we are than the sum of our parts when we join forces. So we are so indebted also to the help we've had, but we have been doing the work ourselves. 
in community, you can say. <laughs> yes. I wanted to ask you with the urban gardening that you did in Detroit, Where did you learn about gardening when you were growing up? Or was that something that like a skill that you like taught yourself? So I did not learn about that growing up. And nor did Connor. Our Our first sort of experimentation in the garden was really when we moved to our house in Highland Park. Uh, and it sort of began as an experiment just to see, you know, what, what we could grow and to begin learning. Uh, and I wouldn't say we taught ourselves. Once again, we learned uh, so much from the community, in particular, Keep Growing Detroit, which for anybody living in Detroit, I cannot recommend more. It is just such an invaluable resource that, you know, they offer you all of the sort of free classes and workshops and on-site experience uh, just for, a, I think, once again, maybe $25 a year. Uh, so, yes, we learned just sort of as we went and then slowly pulled more people into the learning experience. What are you most excited to grow up at the, the schoolhouse? Ooh, so I am so excited, I guess, to have the space and also the soil that is not, uh, you know, that does not contain toxic levels of heavy metals like mm. our soil in Detroit. Uh, I'm really excited to have a dye garden and like an entire tea garden devoted mm. specifically. And then also a dog food garden. So Trotsky oh. gets his own plot so that we can begin making his food instead of having to purchase it from the grocery store because it's so expensive <laughs> and why not grow it? We also know exactly what, what is in it that way. Yeah. I love that. What a cool idea. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And he'll, you know, have his protein source from the occasional deer that Connor gets when he hunts. <laughs> I will probably not be having any of that deer, but uh, yeah, I'm really excited I guess, I guess for those things, maybe. Um, also potatoes. Potatoes apparently grow really phenomenally up here in the soil, according to the Lewis School newspaper articles I've been reading, uh, which are all cataloged in the library's online resource. They have, yeah, the best online resources I've ever experienced in a library. But... Yeah, they were always raving, just going on and on about how great their potato yields were at the schoolhouse. I actually had to care for uh, someone's potato plant once, and it, it they grow like these like leafy greens at the top. Mm -hmm. And I have never grown vegetables. I only have cared for like a variety of houseplants and all of a sudden the green like started to die and I didn't realize oh, no. they were actually potatoes and I had followed the instructions about the watering and I remember contacting this couple saying I think I killed the plants oh and, my this, and I like sent them a picture and I was totally mortified and they're like no that's good that means that they're like ready and I it was just funny because they were explaining to me that the green leafy part like dies before they're ready to be harvested 
that's really funny and that's good to know I didn't know that potato fat yes and I I think that's just like with white potatoes I don't know if that's the same with sweet potatoes but I just I just thought it was so funny that I was panicking and I had killed this plant. In fact, it was just like ready to be. uh, Yeah, I was just telling you it was ready. (laughs) (laughs) I learned that this year about quinoa because we're growing quinoa this year in the garden up here, which is another thing I'm really excited to grow. Uh, And the entire top of the plant slowly starts turning yellow and then red and then just like these bright colors. And I thought it was some sort of disease. I was quite frightened but I looked it up and it reassured me that that's just them saying hey we're almost ready to be picked nice yeah I um yeah I've always I'm like really curious to do my own garden like to have my own garden someday and grow vegetables and I I just love not only how you like display your projects that you work on but it's just like so aesthetically pleasing um I just love looking at what you do. It's just very, uh, it's just pretty. Thank you so much. And the, I just love all of the, like, you know, the natural Michigan wildlife as well, you know, like the, the flowers. And I just think that's, that's really awesome. Yeah. I feel so lucky to, to get to move up here. I, I still don't believe it. You know, it's so beautiful. Northern Michigan. I mean, there's beauty everywhere in Michigan, but it's it's almost unrivaled. I think I'm biased. I think I'm biased too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm inclined to agree with you. Michigan Michigan nature's something else. She's gorgeous. Lake Lake Michigan just gives me life. It it always have, it always will, and I I just know like my soul needs to be by the lake. Right? I feel like it's medicinal. This- yeah. It like regulates my heartbeat when I sit beside it and just watch the waves roll in and out. Yes. I, I, um, I love that we share that in common and it's, it's always fun to talk to people from Michigan, especially being over here. Uh, I always like whenever I meet people at my job or something and I, I find out that they're from Michigan, I'm like, Oh my gosh. So it's, it's definitely, I like continuously nerd out about. Yeah, there must be a certain sort of kinship, especially so far away from home. I mean, meeting people from Michigan. Yeah. Do you do you meet them often there? Um, I would say more often than not. I, I'd love to hear that. You know, if I see like a U of M or Michigan State sweatshirt or something, I always I always I'm like, nice, nice hat, nice sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> um not even a huge sports fan it's just always fun to to chat people up about that I love this vision that you have and it it feels like you're kind of positioning yourself for the Lewis school and pick me up press to kind of like grow simultaneously next to each other yes absolutely so you know my dream and goal for the pick me up press is to eventually turn my studio up here into a teaching studio uh so then that means it's open to the community and they're, you know, they can come in and use the resources and tools and supplies that are in the studio, learn alongside others, myself included. You know, artists can also come in uh, and teach whatever craft or medium that they they know. Uh, so 
one of the branches of the nonprofit will be education and included in that will be the pick me up press. Uh, yeah, not only just selling my things, but also teaching others how to make their own things. And in addition, uh, we have a dream of creating a space for other artists and really anybody who is making anything, craftspeople, uh, musicians, makers of all sorts, to come and sell whatever it is that they have or trade whatever it is that they have with others and, you know, take all of the profits for themselves. Uh, because typically up here, the, the model is a gallery or a shop will take 40% of the cut and then you as the maker get 60%, uh, mm. which can be tough. I I love this like self sufficiency aspect. Does that also include like bartering? If people wanted to barter, or not necessarily. Oh, absolutely. You know, the dream is to kind of like I said, create a system that can run counter to the money economy because not everybody has money, but everybody does have something that they can offer to their community, whether it be a skill, a trade, uh, a crop. Maybe you have food, maybe you have a meat or a protein, maybe you know how to do someone's plumbing or electricity. Um, we dream of sort of creating a mutual aid network of people who can, you know, maybe pay $25 a year and be a part of a sort of library of people in the community who can offer a service in exchange for a good or a product. I love that. I love the bartering system. I feel like it's such a, a foreign concept. I know it now. is. And I like one thing that always makes me think of is I used to work at a bakery in college and we would get access to all these, you know, free bread and pastries. And I used to barter that for like vegetables and beer and just like other items with people in Grand Rapids. That's so <laughs> like fantastic. Bread. Yeah. Things are expensive, man. Like, yeah. every time I go to the grocery store, you can't go in and spend under $20. And no. yeah, it's, it's wild. Also, when you look at like the rate of inflation on these products, meanwhile, minimum wage is staying the same. And when you look at the thought of like an hour of your time working being equal to like a bag of cheese at the grocery store, <laughs> you know, it can get not only inaccessible, but it's, it's unsustainable. Uh, so I think any time that you can work around that and trade cheese for bread or baked goods or vegetables, yeah, more power to you. I, I love to hear that. I, uh, I really uh, want to connect you with Alita. She's also interviewed on this series, but she is the owner and operator of Southeast Market Grand Rapids. Um, she started a grocery store in what is technically a food desert. Uh, and I just feel that you two would have so much to talk about. Uh, I would love that. Yes, please connect me. I'm just envisioning like, a connection right now and I don't know how that hadn't occurred to me yet so I, I love that yes that. like I said we already want to sort of create a hub in Detroit like a Lewis school hub I love the idea of 
also connecting uh, the west side of the Grand Rapids, kind of just looping around.